0: This episode of Pixel Civ is proudly sponsored by Murdoch University School of Arts. With courses in games, sound, radio, screen, communications, and journalism, there is an excellent range of top quality fields to propel yourself into your future career. It's never too late to get involved and improve your skill set. Search Murdoch University for more information and start down the road to knowledge. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly sponsoring Pixel Civ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Pixel Civ. My name is Mitch and for our 80th episode I'm celebrating by taking Johnny's chair so naturally there'll be less eyebrows and more talking off script and making mistakes. But as always I'm joined by Scott and for the first time we have Sarah. How are you guys? Yeah good good. Very good. Yeah so Sarah is someone that I've always wanted to get on the show because as you may have noticed here on Pixel Civ we don't know anything about PC gaming and that has (laughs) to stop. So she's here to teach us words like accusation i think is what you mentioned yes, the other nice. day yes, that's what and, i mentioned
1: yeah just- S- sarah's been around uh, the traps for a while as far as because if it goes she's been behind the scenes making things work especially in a bunch of especially in a bunch of let's plays so um welcome to the show finally, finally sarah
0: yes so Excellent. So, um, <laughs> our guest today is Peter Curry. He's a programmer and designer of For Mini Metro, a subway network management game. His studio, Dinosaur Polo Club, that's the best name ever, by the way. Right, uh, is located Fantastic. is located in Wellington, New Zealand. So he won't, he couldn't join us live, but Johnny and I caught up with him earlier. But until then, what else have we got today, Sarah?
2: Today we want to talk about the fact that gamers place a lot of value in their skills, but could the regard that we hold for our ability and the ability of others, say in our team, be a bit overinflated?
1: Yes, yes. And we'll also be taking a look at cross-platform compatibility once again, as it was accidentally and briefly enabled between PS4 and Xbox last week in the game Fortnite, and now everyone's looking to Sony expectantly.
0: Yeah, let's jump in. That's my that's my Johnny impression. Do you like it? Mm. Yeah, it's
2: fantastic. Watch episodes, let's plays, and more at youtube.com forward slash pixelsift au. Now, I think we can all agree that somewhere along the line we all find ourselves with a game that we feel that we're really good at, it's our go-to when issued a challenge, maybe by a peer or a teammate, or just the one that you spend the most time in, and this can give us a pretty strong sense of pride, but is this vanity one of the main sources of toxicity that can be found in the gaming community? Now, today, I was looking up some articles related to this, just doing some research, and I found something really interesting. A guy uh, was talking uh, on, like, a you know, a blog article about his experience with games, and he's been gaming since the eras of where arcade machines, you know, your local arcade place were the only way you could kind of go to to basically be a gamer and to enjoy that culture. Can and I guess
0: what toxicity looks like in an arcade? Like, the look over your shoulder, you like know- really. <laughs> That's your highest score, man? It's
2: funny because he was talking about how the toxicity didn't really exist back then. This kind of elitism that we've developed now wasn't really apparent, at least to him back then. He talks about how, you know, it didn't matter. No one kind of judged you for what game you played, for how you played it. It was just, everyone just loved, you know, just kind of going there and enjoying in that and and appreciating that. And then since, you know, as time has moved on, arcades just kind of went out of fashion for the most part and consoles took the rise and he obviously went with that flow. He's noticed that, you know, there's such a different kind of attitude towards games and and the way that we treat other people people. He actually was talking about a specific thread uh, that was, you know, I think it happened maybe around the, um, the 2000s era based on when this article was written. And the thread's pretty old now. I couldn't actually pull it up. But he was saying that, you know, he found this thread and it looked pretty promising. Originally, it was started with gamers trying to decide what made them gamers? You know what kind of solidified us as this kind of community because, you know, back when the days of arcade games, it was that was a very strong centered thing. You went to the arcade, you played arcade games, you were a gamer. But nowadays it's so broad with mobile games, with computer, with Facebook games. kind of it's kind of really expanded. And th- hmm? sorry. sorry, keep going. No. no, that's all right. And uh, you know the thread got so toxic that it ended up having to get shut down because people, <laughs> people were getting that people so, getting that gatekeeping so, about it. It was quite interesting. So
0: that's what happens when we try to define ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
2: He managed to pull some pretty good quotes from it, though, that were some of the more positive ones, but obviously he didn't put any of the negative ones, but God, I can only imagine... Two of them that I really liked were if you enjoy playing video games and you play them when you get a chance and you use free time to play a little, then you are a gamer. And games are diverse because people are diverse. And I really enjoyed those. But that seems to be a very minority opinion nowadays. So many people are just so gatekeeper about the way that we play games. And, you know, it's just really interesting that we're kind of so toxic about this.
1: Well, uh, you you know, the the vocal uh, minority – um, is true, always true. just that. Yeah. Um, but as far as you know, um, toxicity only starting post arcade times. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think most of the problems that we have as far as trolls and uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull them t- I'm gonna pull toxicity with with trolling. Absolutely. Um,
2: yeah.
1: I think it's it's a huge part of it is the lack of real world consequences. Absolutely. You know, just like any online troll, uh, gaming toxicity uh, usually stems from some kind of insecurity, and you can. Bet you can bet your ass that a lot, ninety nine point nine percent recurring of those people that uh, you know perform this toxicity online wouldn't do it if they had those people in front of them. A la arcades, so yeah, your Absolutely. ass beat down to you.
0: That's
2: true. <laughs> One of the other things I noticed in another article I was looking at, it was written by a, a former professional esports player, so he had a pretty good insight. Was yeah. he was talking about how, you know. um, uh, you know, tilting people to get an advantage uh, mm-hmm. is kind of what you do. It's kind of part of that kind of attitude is, is that you shit talk people. And obviously with, you know, when you have this online persona, you've got no consequence. They're not in front of you. They can't actually physically hurt you at all. They can only just use nasty words. And if you have the better nasty words, that can be really beneficial to you. It doesn't make it right or good, but it's really interesting. No, but also- tilting
1: is part of sport, you know, Absolutely. like I mean, yeah. in, in other yeah. games in cricket, we'll call it sledging. You know, in a lot of games, especially that, in Australia, true. we call yeah. it sledging. It's yeah. kind of part of it. But there is a line where you become unsportsmanlike, and absolutely, and, and a game
2: has pushed that, in my opinion. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Way I, too far. I
1: think you know I can relate with toxicity sometimes, um, especially you know inter-team toxicity. You know, I will get I, I have much like a lot of people. I have, have had issues with my anger in the past, and I can get angry when I don't actually want to get angry because, like, sometimes you know. Anger's addictive, and it's rewarding if you kind of let it do its thing. Like it's really self-satisfying, and I think that's a huge thing about the um, toxicity we have as gamers, especially to people. You know, say if you're going to slack off someone on your own team or whatever, <laughs> it is—it's a venting, and you get There are no consequences because, again, because of this anonymity, and you're—you know—you're satisfying your um, angry. Insides. But blaming <laughs> your know. teammate
2: is far oh, easier than blaming yourself for your own mistakes. For sure. And there's a real, it's a really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this. When you blame your teammates, it's not helping anyone. It's no. not helping them. You're not giving them constructive criticism. No, if but you're, you're
1: self-satisfied exactly. because you allowed yourself to exactly. have your rage. Yeah, it, but
2: like it doesn't you're improve you're to rage the rage situation. <laughs> it never improves the situation though. Mm. Like it's not going to help you win the next game. It's going to make all your teammates hate you, hate this person that you're ragging on. If they all decide, yeah, this person sucks, it's like what's going to happen? You're going to fall apart, you know? But Why are we so kind of, you know, addicted to that kind of lifestyle? Because it doesn't help anyone at the end of the day. It helps yourself feel better, but then you lose the game, then you feel worse, you know?
0: It's self-satisfying. I think it's related to a very, um, like, we place, it comes back to, like, our attitude toward the game, and we we are very self-invested in our skill. Mm -hmm. And when that's something that you think you're really good at, and, like, you've come to this environment where you pretty much control it, and you're familiar with it, you know every aspect of it. When someone doesn't use it in a way that you kinda like it and it and it's you feel passionate about it. Absolutely. And I I would argue that gamers have become more passionate over the generations. Definitely, yeah. We've and got
2: There's been a rise of the competitive scene. Esports yeah. is a really young thing comparatively mm. to everything else. And still millions else. of dollars are coming Absolutely, through Absolutely, yeah. Those and, and, you know, I know someone, I work with someone that recently is, is actually currently competing in an esports team for Rainbow Six Siege in Australia, and that's really, really, you know, quite crazy. Like, I never thought I'd actually accidentally meet someone, I didn't even meet him online. I was just like, oh, you play Siege? Yeah, me too, cool. Found <laughs> out a week later from some friends. Hey, that guy's actually, you know, in a team. And I was like, what? Damn. But um, I'm very. Let's comment on his (laughs) playstyle. I I do not. He is way out of my league when it comes to that. But you know, it's just like that's that's an actual thing that exists. This competitive gaming scene exists, and it's so fascinating. But that never really kind of that's still so young, you know, relatively speaking. We've had sport for centuries, and games are just so new, especially with console games and PC. You know, the days of arcade, we didn't really have, you know, I mean, you had the high score kind of thing, but, you know, you had no idea who this person with three initials was. You didn't see them, but you actually can communicate verbally to this other person in your team, or you can chat to this person on the other team that you're fighting, you know.
1: Unfortunately, in any sports, any kind of competition, you're going to get those competitive people that take it too far. You get it in junior sports, you get it in amateur sports, you get it in professional sports, you always got... The dickheads, I guess, that are going to ruin it <laughs> the for everybody with else. Anger you know? management
2: issues. Yeah, perhaps.
1: for sure. And exactly like I was saying before. Yeah. And, and that's, that can be the calmest, most together person, but mm. that could be their trigger, you know? It's Absolutely. upsetting their special time. All right. Speaking, anyway. of, speaking
0: of special time, I think we need to get off to the next topic. Nice. <laughs> Segue. <Segway. laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not Johnny. So I don't have these like wicked eyebrows in segways. Oh, yep. That's... You can
2: work on that though. There's always room for improvement.
0: hmm. Speaking of improvement.
2: pixel sift (laughs) pixel sift no seriously pixel sift (laughs) no seriously pixel sift
0: So Peter Curry is a programmer and designer from New Zealand's Dinosaur Polo Club. Johnny and I sat down with Peter earlier to talk about how he got into game development, where his inspiration for the award-winning subway puzzle game Mini Metro came from, and drawing on player experience when making the game. My brother
3: and I came up with Mini Metro. Um, We had been making games on and off for about 10 or 15 years or so, I guess. Um, We both started commercially, uh, professionally making games at g interactive in 999 2000 ish um we worked there for about i was there for about four and a half years before we left with another guy and started doing independent development back in 2006 that didn't go so well um for a number of reasons we we're sort of in the wrong in the right place at the wrong time i think is that where we were starting to try to do indie development, but that was back just before Steam had opened up, and um, we actually just sh- sh- shut up shop around a few months before the iPhone came out. So <laughs> it was, if we'd would um, if we'd been together at that time making games a few years afterwards, we, we may have um, got something up the door. Um, as it was, uh, we both really just... Stopped making games for a good few, for a good a good while after that, and then it was only I. We really wanted to get back into making games. Twenty end of twenty twelve, beginning of twenty thirteen, and that's when I pitched. Uh, oh no, it's when Rob and I started talking about what games we could make, and one of the ideas was the subway map game, um, and then we prototyped it for a game jam. Um, back in uh, early May 2013. And then that's basically the same game we've got now. Um,
4: so why yeah. a subway map game? Like, what was the... I mean, obviously, you look at these uh, international subway maps, you need to look at the you know the Tokyo map or the London Tube map, and you can see the inspiration behind your game. But why was it that you wanted to make a game out of that, and how did you kind of put it all together?
3: So it was really... A decision based on practicalities. Uh, we'd done enough over-scoped projects that we knew from the get-go we weren't never going to get completed um, that this time, you know, I really wanted to get a game done and out. And uh, so we so we scoped as accurately as we, we, we were able to. Um, and that started off by listing all the things we could do and all the things we weren't able to, to do. So we were both software engineers, so like, okay, let's do something that doesn't need any art because we know we can't do art at all. Um, and we just wanted to play up to our strengths. So already off the bat, we we restricted ourselves to abstract ideas. I mean, I mean sorry, to anything that, that we could do with an abstract representation. Um, uh, came up with a few ideas, but Subway Maps fit really well into that. There already are an abstract representation so we um rob originally pitched an idea where you were trying to get around on a map so you were actually a passenger who had to get from a to b and then i then i just thought it sounded more interesting if you built the map and there was computer agents having to get Around the map, I figured that way you'd be doing the thing that was a bit more fun, uh, and that was it. That's we built that game, and it was surprisingly good for a game jam game. People enjoyed playing it, which is always a surprise, <laughs> and they and then we just took the next two, three, four years to um with we'll that towards a commercial release.
4: So you said that you're software engineers and you've been working on this game for a number of years. It started as a small scope project and it's now obviously, you know, critically acclaimed. It's been nominated and awarded a number of awards, um, multiple platforms on, on the iPhone, the iOS store as well now. Um, you talked about scope in the beginning there and you are saying you wanted to make something that was, you know, small and self-contained. How much has that scope grown since you started that, game jam game and what sort of things did you have to kind of say well, okay well no we have to stop we we've going past where our original constrained ideas were from
3: yeah i guess the the biggest issue we had with scope was taking it from a game jam game which is you know just a freely available on the web um thing to to a game that we could charge money for and not feel like eggs you know, like, what could we add to the game to to sort of bulk it out, to make it a good value proposition? So that took some time to figure out what we could add without taking away from the sort of uh, minimalist appeal. Yeah, you because know, cause we knew it, we could not just bulk it out and make it into, like, a, a big, heavy... Simulation game because so much of the appeal of that game is because it's so minimalist and mm-hmm. simple and uh, abstract. So we were bouncing around a lot of different ideas mm-hmm. about how how to add that, um, and eventually we settled on something just having weekly upgrades that slowly build up. So you you build up sort of an arsenal of of equipment and and different assets that you can use, but we had a lot of different ideas, like turning it into something that was more of a less abstract simulation game. So where you earned income for the number of passengers that you got to the destination and time, and then you'd spend that to upgrade. Right? And I'm really glad we didn't go with that route because I think that would have lost the, the appeal of the game and, and turned it into much less accessible. A game and much more of a hardcore sort of citizen
4: it um, ocean type game. A subset Which of isn't like Sim that City that or something like that where you're trying to build a. Yeah,
3: we're to say it's a bad game, but I just think it, it's uh, what we have at the moment, I think, is a much better marriage of the aesthetics and what we're asking people to
0: do. It, it actually reminded me of um, one of the mechanics. Now you mentioned Sim City, I, it reminded me of Sim Towers and the elevator management mechanic. In that the right. whole game reminded me of a pretty much a more fleshed out version of that.
3: Yeah. It's funny that's actually an idea I've been worrying wondering if you could turn into a full game. Just elevators. Just elevators the- are interesting. It's one of those things as a programmer that when you you're waiting for an elevator you think, Who programmed this? It's like <laughs> it can't be that hard. Surely you could make good elevator AI, but anyway.
4: I tell you what when it's I f- completely when I first saw the game, I was thinking, oh, this takes me back to primary school maths, you know, doing the shortest path between uh, points, trying to work that oh, out. Yeah. Um, and I think what's really good about the game is, yes, you talk about that aesthetic and yes, it is very minimalist, um, but it does kind of draw very heavily on those subway maps that people would be familiar with. One of the things that kind of is striking for me is, is it easy for people to, to pick it up? You know, there are places around the world which don't have huge uh, subway infrastructures, and when you start, it's just a blinking dot. and Well, two blinking dots, really. Is it easy for people to kind of get the idea, or, or are they coming in already knowing what the idea is?
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the things we've picked up about the appeal mm-hmm. of the game. Because um, obviously, you know, it, it has been a, a success, um, and we're always. I think you can't help but try to reverse engineer the success, and in, in the hope of learning something useful from it, and being able to replicate that success. And one of the things I I think is um, any game is going to try to leverage players' existing understanding of something to try to. Communicate how you need to play the game, and a lot of games, almost all games, will reference previous games. Um, so you, you know, if you say it's an RPG, you know, you you know kind of how to interact with it with an RPG or an FPS. Um, and I think what Metro does instead of doing that, it tries to leverage off your understanding of a map of of a subway map. Even though here in NZ we don't have any subways whatsoever, but um, we still have that. A uh, bu- bus map looks roughly the same, and in, in fact, the Auckland map in the game is, ba- is based off the Auckland um, the, the bus map. And I have we, I have spoken to someone who had from Tennessee, I think it was, who had n- never seen a subway map or a bus map or, or anything, and they were introduced to it by a friend and he said when he first started playing it, he's just like, I have no clue what this is trying to represent at all. Like he just had no understanding that it took place within a city and the stops were stations, you know, all of the big shapes were stations. He said, no idea, but um, stuck with it long enough because his friend said it was a good game and then eventually got to understand the game. Itself, even though we still didn't understand the, the connection, it was you know what that extra representation it was off. So,
4: yeah, wow. So, make sure you take uh, an Uber or something if you're in Tennessee because obviously <laughs> there's no public yes. transport at all. Has it given you <laughs> I, I, sympathy for I, the I, people who plan these networks now? Do you kind of understand and you're now more willing to wait for a bus or a
3: <laughs> yeah? We do hear from some people that take a more empathetic, uh view of things, that instead of saying, uh, this is bad just like my public transport is, they'll instead be like, this is hard, Ma- making efficient public transport is hard, I have more empathy when my bus d- doesn't show up exactly when I expect it to. Um, hopefully we do a bit more of that and a bit less of people just getting angry. But. Um, <laughs>
0: And that was Peter Curry with Mini Metro. So Mini Metro is out on Steam and iOS right now. Oh, and Android. Um, stay tuned for more updates from Dinosaur Polo Club soon. We're gonna try and get them on the show. Um, as as the New Zealand uh, sorry, yeah, the New Zealand Film Commission has announced their new project Shoebox will receive funding support. So that should be pretty exciting. You're listening to Pixel Sift. Or you might be watching Pixel Sift on Twitch. Pixel Sift.
1: So, yes, we're here again. Cross-platform play has been thrown into the spotlight once more this year when early access title Fortnite allowed PS4 and Xbox One players to play together for a short time, proving once and for all that the limitations are not technical and it is actually
0: highly possible. Johnny was pointing out to me last night, like, you know, Mitch, no one ever thought that the limitations were technical and i'm like but now we know yeah exactly you can just
2: let the ignorant people like us just just have a minute you know it's like just just let us let us be happy
0: i think Uh, i i I, I ran out of my room after i read that and i was like it's not technical (laughs) (laughs) okay
2: the little things you
1: know look sony says they are trying to protect their players um and and children because they think of the children and and just people's (laughs) privacy in general um I don't really know how that's a good excuse or reason. It's
0: it's pretty much throwing Xbox under the bus, right? It's like... (laughs) Yeah, we don't think that the mm. other team can take care of the children very well, so I think we're just not mm. going to deal with that. I don't know, yeah. I don't know if <laughs> I, I buy that. I mean, thinking about <laughs> the yeah. children, I mean, yeah. it's
2: different for every game, but you know, I have, knowing people that have been playing more and more on PS4 recently, I've heard more and more reports of them saying I've encountered more hackers than I did in the past. Like is hacking that so? has started. Dark Souls is a good example. Bloodborne, it's starting to happen, and I don't, I don't know the technical limitations. I don't know the technical kind of dealio behind that, but the fact that it's happening itself is like a well. Now you're on the same level as as Microsoft. Off. sorry Sony. you know like like you were the you were the one beacon of hope of oh there's no hackers here now there are so it's like well i don't know i don't know if i buy that you know well that's changed
0: because right. in the ps3 era that's where people went to hack because really? you didn't have to pay for psn back oh then.
2: that's a good point yeah so yeah. if you if you played yeah. modern
0: warfare i think about six months after it came out that's mm. all you were just getting sniped by machine gun snipers
2: then sony was yeah. like hey what if we just like add a subscription fee And then everything shifted.
0: And then it became automatically better. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I don't know. Now it's kind of shifting back. But again, don't know the details.
1: Microsoft says they are still in talks with Sony. So uh, apparently. (laughs) But I I say don't hold your breath Uh, for anything. Even with Fortnite's crossplay. Um, soiree, I doubt Sony's going to be in any hurry to facilitate anything like that again.
0: Hey, what do you think that talk sounds like? When uh, the, the, the Microsoft person and like I could imagine it's like changing exchanging of a prisoner of war.
1: I'd say Microsoft would be uh, you know dishing out. Uh, a good shopping list of reasons why it'd be great yeah. and then Sony's just like
0: nah, <laughs> no, nah. They've,
1: got, they've got a
2: paper shredder behind them they're just like we'll take that into consideration yeah, yeah, sweet. and they're just shredding it <laughs> no, one I'm after looking the at it
1: right now I've got my best people on it yeah. no look um, console politics uh, and its history has shown that current gen console leaders generally will be against such mm-hmm. things as this um, inclusive type thing avoiding relinquishing being the dominant kind of mm-hmm. console um, if we've learned anything from their console history though it's that none, no one Stays on top for long. Yep. Um. So Sony will probably, uh, most likely, in my view, only change their p- position once they're knocked off the top. Which you know, probably it's only a, a gen away
0: or something. So the thing is, we need them both to be knocked down a peg. Basically, th- that's what we need a new front runner.
1: Um, Nintendo.
2: Nintendo. Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stop bringing out stupid peripherals that we can't use. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, I mean, that's kind of my view on it anyway. Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. we've we've almost beaten this one to death um for as much as it's going to happen for this gens uh hopefully in a year's time we can jump back on this topic with something that's actually happened yeah unfortunately
0: so what, I, I my my thing was i would love to play destiny with <laughs> For PCV sure. I oh, looked yeah, great There's find.
2: player demand for sure. I noticed yeah. that when I was looking out reports of what happened with Fortnite, the biggest thing I noticed was players loved it. They yeah. were all really enjoying it. And that really says something. And, you know, even if Sony and Microsoft aren't actually talking about this, at the very least, you'd hope that they're taking something out of this and going, well, there, there is an obvious, very clear demand that people want this. But then again, at the end of the day, it was up to Sony whether they, they tick that box or not. So yeah, they don't want to we'll play see. ball. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, because just the because they're market leaders, they they unfortunately just do have the most to lose. Yeah, exactly. that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and they want
2: to risk that at the moment. Then why would you? Yeah, yeah, I do not blame them at all.
0: But like I said, it's
1: only just around the corner, and something might change. And then uh, you know, what if Microsoft don't want to come to to play, and they behave the same kind of way? The well, only people people that are losing out are <laughs> us players, and that's really kind of annoying um, yeah, for me, especially as a Sony person. I'm like, come on,
0: guys, get your shit together. Yeah, but like it it does. The challenges are very real. For example, like if you've got a misbehaving Xbox user and they have grieved on a PS4 user, does the PS4 user report that to PlayStation or do they report it to Xbox? Well,
1: obviously, there's going to be a lot of things to sort out. And this is going to be need some- it really neat, means that Microsoft and Sony are going to have to forge their relationship to work together better. Um, and
2: Absolutely. It, there's going to need to be infrastructure put in place to yeah, solve situations sure. like that, Mitch, where there, maybe there's a report system that acts both ways yeah. and, it, and you, you know appropriately slots in your report to whoever needs to deal with that. But then again, that's a lot of work. That's effort. That's money. That's manpower. Yeah. You know, but it's not going to be like a Fortnite
1: it. thing where it just kind of happened. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be something yeah. that's really kind of planned and thought about and Absolutely. whatever. But so
0: so it, personal opinion, do you think that Fortnite did it on purpose or was it an accident?
1: Oh, uh, I mean- who knows? It's just speculation, but I'd yeah. say accident. Um mm. only because if it was so easy to just do, I feel like someone might have just done it before. Yeah. Just to just to stir the pot.
2: Absolutely. Unless they maybe they made it easy on purpose for this, but then again, it seems a bit it seems a bit ridiculous. It could be either way. I mean, it seems like a really interesting time to do it, and the reaction yeah. seems it seems a bit sus, but then again, I don't know enough about how easy it is to do. I have no, no. idea what the, the background is of that kind of thing in software development, so it's like I don't want to make that call.
0: Cool. I would really I'm very curious to know what um,
2: yeah, same. what actually has to
0: happen to make these two very different machines talk well, to each other. Any of our mm. um, you know, more expertise driven
1: people out there, listeners, uh, if you let us know, um so we don't have to do you know <laughs> piles of research to find out something that is just you know, and is small, learn interesting. How to make video
2: games Absolutely, because so I'm,
0: look, I'm just not gonna. Yeah, <laughs> we we celebrate our 80th episode by asking the viewers to do our work for us.
2: <laughs> we give You're, the the gift of hey, do some pixel of research. No, but for seriously, yeah.
1: like if you guys are in the know, because uh, mm-hmm. we do have an, an amazingly experienced and talented listenership, and so if somebody out there knows, you know, if it is that difficult or if it is that easy. Please let us know, mm. and that's probably all the time
0: we have. For today. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so uh, I guess if you enjoyed that, come join us again in two weeks. But thank you very much <laughs> for joining us on Pixel Serve. We hoped you've enjoyed the show. As usual we're putting links up to all the stuff we talked about on our website, including links to Mini Metro and the rest of uh, <clears throat> Dinosaur Studios' work. Um, you can find that dinosaur <laughs> Dinosaur Studios. That's totally incorrect. Yeah. Um, So you can find that all on the correct link will be on www.pixelsiv.com.au and Scott. <laughs> Dinosaur Polo Club. <laughs> Dinosaur Polo anyway, Club. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> uh, yes, you can find us
1: uh, on facebook.com forward slash pixelsift, twitter.com forward slash pixelsift, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift, and youtube.com forward slash AU. And Sarah, people want
0: to listen to our other episodes or find out other stuff, where should they go?
2: You can visit our website to find all of our other stuff, including Let's Plays and previous episodes. Subscribe as a podcast either on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on our page. And if you're listening to us exclusively on one of these platforms, I just want to remind you that we go live every fortnight. Our next episode will be out on the 12th of October.
1: It's like yeah. a pre-PAX episode. Yeah. Oh, Ooh. is that? What is that last one before I don't know PAX. if we're going to squeeze another one in.
0: I think we might. I don't want to jump a gun. But it's Exciting. very soon. Exciting. Yep, Absolutely. so we're all going to PAX. Yes. Sarah, coming too?
2: Absolutely. Nice. Oh, yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, so we'll all be there. So if you see us, uh, come say hi or run away if you don't want to get filmed. PAX team assemble. Yep, let's do it. Anyway, um, so thank you very much for listening and thank you very much to Murdoch University School of Arts for supporting the show. That's it. Peace out.